0: We give a warm welcome to everyone to uh, evening worship this evening, both those in the building here and to those who are joining with us online. Let's begin by singing to God's praise in Psalm number 25. It's the first verse in page 231 of the Psalter. It's at the beginning of the song. To thee I lift my soul, O Lord, I trust in thee. My God, let me not be ashamed, nor foes triumph o'er me. Let none that wait on thee be put to shame at all. But those that without cause transgress, let shame upon them, if all. We'll sing verses 1 to 6 of Psalm 25. To thee I lift my soul. <coughs> Sure. together in prayer, let's pray. O oh Lord, O God, as we sing these songs, help us to ponder the truths contained within them. May we remind ourselves that this is an exercise of the soul as we gather before you this night. May we remember that the psalmist said to thee, I lift my soul. O Lord, I trust in thee. Our confession is that it is so easy for us to go through an outward ritual that can be empty and futile. We can pretend to others. We can even pretend to ourselves. But we cannot hoodwink you. You know us through and through. You know us utterly and absolutely. And that profound truth sometimes makes us want to take to your heels to run and hide from you. Because we are what we are. And you are who you are. But may we remember this. There are no hiding places in this universe. The only hiding place is in Christ. And to be in Christ, we must come to you. And so we come this night in all the horror of our histories. Thankful that you did not come into this world to seek and to save the righteous. But you came into this world to seek and to save lost sinners. May we never, ever lose sight of that. O oh Lord, our oh God. We pray that you would have mercy upon us as a community and as a nation because by and large we are not remotely interested in you. But your patience with us has been great. We pray, O Lord, that we would turn to you. We pray this night... The many who could be in the place that honors your name, that you would have mercy upon them, that you would draw them to yourself, that the that the churches of this nation of ours would be full once again with people eager to honor the God of grace. You are speaking to us again and again of how short a time we have in this world. Of how quickly and swiftly the years go by. And we remember this community. The various families who are mourning afresh. We think of the Macfacher family. We think of the McKenzie family. And we think of the McLaughlin family. We pray that you'd bless each and all of them. But we cast our minds to other parts of the world and we think of the agony of so many families in Seoul this night where around 150 people lost their lives last night. Many of them teenagers and young ones in their 20s. So much heartache. So much pain. But you remind us again and again that it's not just the old who die. We know not what a day nor an hour may bring forth. O Lord, please help us to watch and uh, be ready. We pray that you remember us as a congregation of your people, as individuals and uh, as family. Bless the little ones here this night, born and unborn. We pray, O Lord, that we would fulfil our responsibility towards them and that we would bring them up to, to honour uh, you. Remember the schoolwork. Remember the clubs that are beginning this week. Remember the dolphins, the Sunday school. Indeed, everything that goes on, we pray that we would water the work with the tears of our prayers and we pray that we would know your blessing. So we ask you to come in with us uh, this night. And we ask you to do us good. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now let's continue in the same song. Psalm 25, the first verse and page 231 of the Psalter. And it's at verse 7. My sins and faults of youth do thou, O Lord, forget. After thy mercy, think on me, and for thy goodness great. God good and upright is. The way he'll sinners show, the meek in judgment he will guide and make his path to know. We'll sing verses 7 to 12 of Psalm 25. My sins and faults of youth. word first of all as we find it in the book of numbers and at chapter 12 we'll read at the beginning of the chapters numbers 12 and verse 1 Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married for he had married a Cushite woman and they said has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. And the three of them came out the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam and they both came forward and he said hear my words if there is a prophet among you I the Lord make myself known to him in a vision I speak with him in a dream not so with my servant Moses he is faithful in all my house With whom I speak mouth to mouth clearly and not in riddles, and he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. When the cloud removed from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous like snow. And Aaron turned towards Miriam, and behold, she was leprous, and Aaron said to Moses, O oh, my Lord, do not punish us, because we have done foolishly and have sinned. Let her not be as one dead, whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes out of his mother's womb. And Moses cried to the Lord, O oh God, please heal her, please. But the Lord said to Moses, If her father had, put, had but spat in her face, should she not be shamed for seven days? Let her be shut outside the camp for seven days, and after that she may be brought in again. So Miriam was shut outside the camp for seven days, and the people did not set out on the march till Miriam was brought in again. After that, the people set out from Hazeroth and camped in the wilderness of Paran. And we'll read also in uh, the book of Psalms and at chapter 25. The book of Psalms at chapter uh, 25. Of David, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he shall choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever towards the Lord. But he will pluck my feet out of the net Turn to me and be gracious to me For I am lonely and afflicted The troubles of my heart are enlarged Bring me out of my distresses Consider my affliction and my trouble And forgive all my sins Consider how many are my foes And with what violent hatred they hate me O guard my soul and deliver me Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. Amen, and may God bless to us that these readings of uh, his word. Let's join together again in prayer. O Lord, our God. As we gather here this night, we ask you to come in amongst us and we ask you to help us. We are so blind and we are so blinkered, but we would ask that your spirit would be here with us as we seek to explore afresh an area of your word. We thank you for how honest your word is. Even in this very psalm, it is just so honest. The psalmist could say that his iniquity was great. The psalmist could say he was in deep trouble. The psalmist could say he wanted to lift up his soul to the Lord. The psalmist could say that his sins and faults of youth had come back to haunt him. But the psalmist could also speak about the loving kindness, the chesed of God that will envelop all our rebellion and sin and will draw us nigh unto him eternally O Lord our God we thank you for the gift of salvation we pray O Lord that whatever the church is gathered across the globe this night that you would be in the midst to bless be with us we pray and be with our loved ones, wherever they might be. O oh Lord, have mercy upon us, and gather us all to yourself in the great beyond. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now we'll continue to sing in the same uh, Psalm, Psalm 825, 25, and that
1: verse
0: 13. Page two, three, two of the Psalter: His soul shall dwell at ease, and his posterity shall flourish still, and of the earth inheritors shall be. With those that fear him is the secret of the Lord, the knowledge of his covenant. He will to them afford. We'll sing verses thirteen to sixteen: His soul shall dwell at ease. let's turn to the uh, indeed the passage we've just been singing i look at it in the scottish metrical version the first verse psalm 25 and uh, this is the one that's probably uh, more familiar to us and at verse 8 god good and upright is the way he'll sinners show the meek in judgment he will guide and make his path eh, to know. Now let's, by God's enabling, seek to explore something of this area of Scripture tonight. We are returning to a series that I started quite some time ago, but for one reason or another, we haven't eh, looked at it, but eh, we return eh, to it. I have been doing a series in the morning, but for the same reasons, I haven't looked at it for some time, but eh, we're back on track Uh, For the evening services Looking at uh, uh, Psalm uh, uh, 25 Now we had the Harvest Thanksgiving service This morning and as we explored Something of Psalm 65 We realized that in Psalm 65 God attends to the needs Of our souls but God also attends to the needs of our, eh, our bodies. And we consider the three things that are needed for growth. We need the soil that God has created. We need the water circle that God has put in place. And we need the sun shining in the sky the source of all photosynthesis. If these things are not there, then the human race uh, dies. But these things are there. And God, in a phenomenal way, in a way that's way beyond the understanding of any of us, God is incessantly at work Causing a harvest to be gathered in once again because God is interested in attending to the needs of our uh, bodies. But Psalm 65 also mentions the soul's needs, as does this particular song, because we are indeed body and we are indeed uh, uh, soul. And when the psalmist says to thee, I lift my soul, he is conscious. That when we are engaging in worship with God, our bodies are involved because there has to be some kind of ritual. Uh, but I'm afraid we are very capable of going through outward rituals and yet being far away from God where it really matters. In other words, We are capable of going through a religious ritual. And the soul is not in it. And you remember that's what happened to Israel in Old Testament times. And remember it's God who... Instructed that the tabernacle and then the tabernacle was succeeded by the temple. It was God who instructed all these things to take place. But you will find God saying in certain occasions, I wish someone would just slam shut the doors of the temple. Because what's going on within the courts and the confines of the temple is an abomination eh, to me. God searches the hearts. God knows what we're like on the inside. And God is looking not for a worship that's non-ritual, but he's looking for a worship that has to be ritual of some kind because we are physical, we have bodies. But he's looking for soul in the worship of, uh, of, uh, of his name. And in this area of uh, scripture, we're told two things about God. We are told in verse, uh, in verse 8 that God is good. And we are told that God is, uh, is upright. And you know we're coming up to the time of year. We know it's Christmas time and uh, we don't really know when Jesus was born. A Pope many years ago said it was the 25th of December and we seem to have gone along with that. But the reality is this. We live in a culture that will have a holiday at that time of year. And uh, there will be a kind of focus on Christmas. Let's not throw out the baby with the bathwater because I do think that Christmas is a great time of year for families to get together. It's a holiday when people put other things or at least have the opportunity of putting other things um, on on the back burner for a moment and uh, concentrating on, uh, on, on togetherness. And it's a great opportunity for us. To focus on the coming of Jesus into this world Whenever it took place You know there's an argument for a date in October And there are others that have been um, mooted uh, Down through the years of history Whenever it was We do know that something happened Something absolutely phenomenal That God broke into the flow of the human race In an utterly and absolutely astonishing way It's not that God was hidden from the beginning of time. Because he wasn't. He revealed himself. He revealed himself to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. But that revelation of God is progressive. It's progressive. But 2022 years ago. There was born in a stable in Bethlehem. A child. And that child was God come in the flesh. If we want to know what God is really like. We look at what Jesus of Nazareth is really like. And that is the manifestation of God to us. And we know that Jesus came into this world to seek and to save lost sinners. Here was a man who a thousand years before Jesus was ever born was writing a song. And he was a believer. But he had a fairly marked history. And what I mean by that is this. He didn't just have a marked history prior to his conversion. He had things in his life that were deeply shameful after his conversion. He had enormous rebellions against God. And he's very upfront and he's very frank and he's very honest in this song that he's writing a thousand years before Jesus is born. He's looking down through the avenue of time to the promised one coming. And he has set his heart on the promised one. But this David, you know, I've mentioned it already. My sins and faults of youth. He seems to have been plagued by his memory being revived and all sins coming back and, uh, and haunting him. And what do you do with a situation like that? There's only one thing you can do. And that is to focus on God. And that is in particular to focus on Christ. For David, it's pre-is coming, but there's still enough of a knowledge there for him to hold on to a saviour. For us in New Testament times, we have so much more revelation given to us. And we should be able to... To deal with us, we grapple with the same problem as he dealt with. We should be able, with the extra light we've been given, we should be able to deal with these problems. But we have the same problem as David had. We falter and we fail and, uh, and we struggle. But God has been good to us in this land that we live in. Good to us in terms of providing for our body's needs because the barns are full, the harvest has been gathered in. God has been doing a meticulous work behind the scenes, and you multiply it by a billion times a billion times a billion. For every potato that's grown, every bit of barley, wheat, and you you name it, God has been doing something that we just let. Like, passes by so often he has filled the barns he has made provision for us he has seen that we will have our bodily needs attended to he's been good in that respect but he has been good in another respect as well in that he hasn't neglected The feeding of our souls. He hasn't neglected the need of our souls. God has been good to us. Jesus came into this world. He lived among us for 33 years. He suffered and died at Calvary. He was entombed on the third day. He rises again and 40 days thereafter the resurrection takes place. But that's not it over for Jesus. At this very moment in time He intercedes in the holy of the holies In the presence of God And on behalf of his people Now here's a question What are we doing here tonight? What are we doing here tonight? Or to put it another way Why are we here tonight? There are millions of people in this country tonight that aren't anywhere near the house of God and who are not remotely interested in what we're exploring right now why should we be any different to them? are we any different to them? well at one level we're not because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and everyone has turned to his own way we have all like sheep gone astray so at one level we're all in the same boat we are all exactly the same but we're here tonight, and I hope we're here tonight because we're interested in something, and I hope we're here tonight because we're interested in this God, and in particular, this Jesus. But what is it that has made us interested? What has brought us along? I, I wonder, can we put it like this? Do we love this Jesus? And if we do, The question is this, why? Why should we love him when there's millions who just have little regard at all? I think the answer to that is this. We love him because he first loved us. He has set his heart upon us and he has given us privileges and he has wooed us to himself. Now that wooing may have been very painful. Because you know conviction of sin is not easy to handle. But conviction of sin drives sinners to look for a saviour. And I think we all know something of conviction of sin. At least I hope we do. And at the end of the day it may have been a difficult journey. But we can say this much. God has been good eh, to us. Not just in terms of providing the harvest. But in providing for the needs of our souls. So we can reiterate this and we can underscore it. That God has indeed been good. But the passage speaks about God also uh, being upright. Now what does that mean? When well, I think it means God being righteous. I think it means this God has done the right thing. You know, there are people who think along these lines. I've entertained these thoughts myself as I've explored things. Why are things the way they are in this fallen world? Why hasn't God saved everybody? Why can God, if all things are possible with God, do that? And everybody saved, why not? And the reason is this why God has not done that. God, and, and I say this with all reverence and respect, I hope. God can't do that. And God can't do that for a very specific reason because He is God, because of His nature. Because God isn't just a God of love. God is a God of justice. And God holds both love and justice in perfect equilibrium. And that's why he cannot just ignore sin. That is why Jesus of Nazareth was born in the stable in Bethlehem. It is God being faithful to who he is And being good to you and I at the same time He is doing things right In other words, the justice of God is this God was very, very fair with the human race from the word go He said to them, in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die And they did die They died spiritually. Communion with God was completely lost in the garden. But that meant it would lead on to the second meaning for the word death. And that's what I would call the tearing apart of body and soul. Physical death. It led on to that. And it would lead on to the third meaning of death in scripture. Eternal death and the lostness of hell. Unless something happens. And of course the something did happen. God sent his only begotten son into this world that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So the crucifixion at Calvary is God's justice in operation. It is also God's love in operation and they are held in complete balance. And I want us to remember what that means for us. I want us to remember what that means for us on a daily basis. Because we are saved tonight not on the basis of having earned anything. Not on the basis of merit but on the basis of absolute and utter gift. And it means this, when we have the problem that David, or at least one of the problems he airs in this song, My sins and faults of youth, do thou, O Lord, forget when the enemy stirs up our memories and causes us to be desolate with past things that aren't part of our histories. We've got to come back to this. God is good and God is upright. And God has saved us in a way that... Honours is justice. And that is what Calvary is all about. And we have to remind ourselves of that again and again and again. God is good and God is upright. He has attended to our bodily needs and He has attended to our soul's needs and He has attended to our soul's needs in the only way that He could. If he's going to be faithful to his character. And be faithful to who he is. But he's done it. He's been right. He's been upright. And all of that is about goodness towards you and I. But the psalmist goes on uh, to say uh, this in verse 9. The meek... Well, he says in verse at the end of verse eight, "The way he'll sinners show." But he then goes on in verse nine to say, "The meek in judgment he will guide and make his path to know." And there's a kind of duplication, there's a kind of par- par- parallelism uh, going on in that area of uh, of scripture. But I want to say a little bit about the sinners. That uh, are being referred to. That are being referred to here. We have to remind ourselves that it is sinners He came to save. This goodness and this uprightness is all about dealing with sinners. But they're not just called sinners. The, 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 the people that are called sinners here, it's all qualified in the following verse, the meek. Now, that's an interesting word. Because in some versions, it's uh, translated as uh, humble. So these sinners that we're, are been spoken about here are also described as meek and as humble. Now, not all sinners are meek and are humble. It is something that happens to a sinner by the grace of God. And what I want to do tonight is I want to pull in the passage we read uh, about Moses. In fact, not just that passage. I want to look are three areas of the life of Moses that are a good example of this meekness and this humility that has been spoken about in this area of Scripture. Now let's, from the outset, make it clear that we're not talking... You know sometimes you might think Oh someone's very meek And they're just a bit of a wimp And they're soft And they've got no backbone That is not what's been spoken about here at all In that passage of scripture We read about Moses being The meekest of all men And Moses most certainly had a backbone And what's been spoken about Is the humility Of this man Moses now it wasn't always that way with him you remember that when Moses is born and he's born into us the world superpower of the day it's Egypt and there's an infanticide at least the boys are being killed because the, the Egyptians fear the Jewish people and Moses' mother had to hide him for a few months and uh, eventually remember he's put in that basket at the edge of the river Nile and the daughter of the king comes along and to cut a long story short she, she adopts Moses and Miriam is hiding nearby watching all that's going on and she comes and she sees to the daughter of the king as she bathes herself at the edge of the Nile But she'll find a nurse for this baby. by and by, it's the mother of both Miriam and Moses, and indeed Aaron, who ends up looking after her own child, but getting paid for it from the treasuries of Egypt. It's an astonishing story. It's an astonishing story about an astonishing God looking after his own people in the most dire situation. But he looked after his Moses and indeed the whole family. He preserved them against the anger and the venom of the most powerful nation on earth in those days. It's a reminder to us of this. When a situation can be exceedingly bleak the believer can turn heavenwards as I believe Moses' mother did and ask the ear of heaven to listen and the ear of heaven did listen and the hand of heaven intervened in an astonishing way. I don't think in her wildest dreams the daughter of Pharaoh, nor indeed the Pharaoh himself ever imagined that the child that they were taking into their own family life would be the very man who would lead every last Jewish person out of the land of Egypt. But when God has a plan and he puts it into practice, nobody will stop him. Not even the most powerful man on planet earth, because that's who Pharaoh was but you'll remember how it went Moses eventually after a few years we are not terribly sure when there's different ages was he 7 was he 12 I'm not terribly sure there's different views on that but eventually he goes off to the palace and he is trained with all the education that Egypt can afford him. and it could so easily have gone to his head But Moses chose to suffer affliction with the people of God. And you wonder, where did that come from? And I think it came from a mother's knee. That was part of it. And it's a reminder to us of people who have children. These young informative you these young children are like sponges in their early years. These early years are just so crucial. Do you know what the Jesuit said? Give me a child until he's seven and that'll be it. Moses was educated in the ways of the people of God To the extent that he turned his back On the best the world could afford him And he chose to suffer affliction With the people of God That does not mean that Moses was flawless Far from it Because you will remember that on one occasion He came across two people fighting And he's, he's, he's got the people of God in his mind And Moses wrongly thinks, I'm going to sort things out for the people of God. And he tries to go about saving God's people in his own strength, and it turned into a disaster. He had to flee from the land of Egypt, and he's off to the Midian wilderness. And he will spend the next 40 years in the wilderness of Midian. And in these 40 years, God's going to work on him. And God's going to mold him. And God's going to fashion him. Do you remember how God did it? He was a shepherd for 40 years. And God used that shepherding to teach him so many lessons. You know, I guess that if we put the different careers on a spectrum tonight and, and asked the average person what would you sort in where, I don't think at the top many people would put shepherding. In fact in the land of Egypt shepherds were despised and so too in the land of Israel. You know when Jesus was born the angels went and they sang to the shepherds and that was for a very particular reason. The shepherds were held in such low esteem in that land that they weren't even allowed to go into a court of law to be witnesses. Who came up with that? Well, I don't know who came up with that. But God did not come up with that. Because God, in His great plan of salvation, focuses on what people who are at the bottom of the ladder. And for 40 years, Moses was in the Midian wilderness being molded and fashioned and taught by God in a shepherding slot. Now, it is not. That when Moses comes to the burning bush, he shows meekness and humility. He does. But it's not all meekness and humility. Because when Moses comes to the burning bush, God's wanting him to do something. And Moses is saying, no, 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 no. you think? That's a very different Moses to the one who fled from Egypt because when Moses fled from Egypt he was full of himself and what he was going to do for God's people and it all fell flat right now in these 40 years Moses has got to learn about himself and Moses is really nervous with himself and you know that's not a bad place to be if we take away our self-confidence But in taking away our self-confidence, we've got to put our confidence in God. And that's the failure of Moses at the burning bush. He did not put his confidence in God. And we do criticize him for that. But what we do admire is his new humility, his new meekness. But the second time I want us to take a look at Moses is... You know, Moses had a phenomenally difficult task given to him. I don't know how many Jewish people came out of Egypt. The lower estimate is one point five million, the highest estimate is over three million. That's an awful lot of people to be looking after in a desert. It was not an easy job. You know, we hear these stories from our childhood and we kind of we just kind of don't really stop and think it through. It was a phenomenally challenging challenge that Moses was given. But the ten plagues occur and they cross the Red Sea. And as we saw this morning in the passage we read, they're hardly into the wilderness when they're complaining bitterly about God. Why did you take us out here to die? How how is that for A lack of gratitude. God says to them, I've heard your cry. I hear you're in bondage. I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to take you to a land flowing with milk and honey. Just listen to me and let me get on with doing it. And God's in the midst of doing it and they see these phenomenal miracles. And all they can do is complain bitterly. We miss the garlic. We miss the fish. We miss the onions of Egypt. You've taken us out here to die, haven't you? No, no, I haven't taken you out here to die. I've taken you out here to put you into a land flowing with milk. And I know you haven't. The, the, The unbelievable ingratitude. Now Moses had to deal with all of that. And you know they come to Mount Sinai. And Moses goes up the mount to meet face to face with God. And he comes down the mount, and they've made their calf, their bull calf of gold, and they're worshipping it. Where on earth did they get that from? That came straight from Egypt. They worshipped the bulls. That's where that came from. And you remember, God was angry. And let's remember this our anger is often so malicious. And it is so unbalanced and it's so malevolent. There's none of that in the anger of God. God is upright. We've just been reading that. God's anger is a right anger, it's a righteous anger, just as the same as God's justice is right and his love is right. And God is saying, I'm going to wipe them out. And I'm going to create a new people, Moses, through you. Now, Moses' ego could have had a heady on that. But he didn't allow it. Why not? Because Moses knew what humility was. And Moses knew what meekness was. Do you know what he says to God Oh God please don't destroy them Please don't destroy them And God listened to that Do you know you and I When we look at our lives We couldn't argue with God If he chose to mark iniquity against us We wouldn't have a leg to stand on But somebody has said to God Please don't destroy them and you know who somebody is? It's not Moses, it's Christ. But it's Moses we're looking at right now and we're looking at examples of humility and meekness in Moses. And that third example that uh, I want to look at in, in Moses is at the time when his, his sister Miriam and um, Aaron oppose him. And they say the problem is this The woman that Moses has just Married a Cushite Now some commentators think That what it really should say here Is that Moses married a beautiful woman But I don't think there's mileage in that And there are other commentators that say This is a reference to Zipporah Moses' first wife And I don't think there's mileage in that Because it is probably the case that Zipporah's dead she was married 40 years ago and and Moses is marrying this Cushite Moses is not breaking the command of God because he was specifically told not to marry into the, the Canaanites but his brother and sister have a real problem here they've jumped on this but that's not the real issue that's not the real issue the real issue is they're jealous of Moses. Now, it's not that Aaron and Miriam have been ignored by God. Aaron was the high priest. That was a great privilege. Miriam led the people in singing the song of Moses, playing her tambourine as they left the land of And headed out to the wilderness She's even called a prophetess So they're Both of them are not insignificant But right now They've jumped on to this woman that The issue of this woman that Moses has married And tried to highlight it as something Whereby they can oppose Moses But in reality they're jealous of the place and the position that Moses has. And you know God deals with them. It's God who chose Moses. You know these Old Testament prophets. Many of them were, had revelations given to them in dreams and visions. Remember sometimes they were asleep and in their dreams. And God communicated with them. In visions they're not asleep. They're awake. But God gives them these visions and communicates with them. But God chose Moses for something very, very different. It's a face-to-face with Moses and God. Who was that down to? That was God's choosing. And God has every right to choose whomsoever he wishes. But it didn't suit into the agenda of Aaron and Miriam. It didn't fit in with their hungry egos. And they're trying it. And God deals with them. God deals with them. But the point is this. At that stage, Moses is a man who is worn out. With all the difficulties of leading the children of Israel, there is an opportunity for Moses to even lose it. And what I mean by that is to be really angry with Aaron and Miriam. That's not the way it goes. That's not the way it goes. In fact, God at this very moment in time, God at this very moment in time says this. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who are on the face of the earth. I don't know if we could be very critical of Moses if he just lost his temper and let them have it at that moment. It wasn't like that. Why? Because there's a humility there and there is a meekness there. And yet, and this is the beauty of the Bible, it is just so honest. It gives us life in the raw. Moses ultimately never got into the land of Canaan. He never got into the promised land. Why? Because on another occasion he did lose it. And when God told him to speak to a rock, he did more than speak to a rock. He, He hit the rock with his rod in anger. The man who was marked out for humility and meekness has his flaws and allows himself to be angry. And God says, you're not getting in. And these are massive, massive lessons. These are massive lessons for us. God has been good to us. And God has been upright. He's been good in providing for our bodily needs. And he's been good in providing and upright in providing for our soul's needs. But this is all qualified by the sinners that he comes to help. These are sinners who know something about humility. These are sinners who know something about meekness. Who is it that worked this humility and meekness? Who wove it into the warp and woof of the life of Moses? It was done by the hand of the eternal gracious God. That will be true of each and every one of us. If we are here as saved sinners this night, we will know something of this humility and this meekness. I'm not saying all our old man is gone it wasn't in Moses but he was marked out as a man of humility and as a man of of meekness God good and upright is the way he'll sinners show the meek in judgment he will guide and make his path to know and ultimately that path for the meek and humble is this They end up where Christ is tonight. That's where they end up. And that is a glorious end. Because the end of the human race is either there through grace. Or it's the lostness of the lost forever. May God grant that we will know something of this humility. He works in the lives of those who love him. Whom he will lead to everlasting peace. Amen. Let's pray. O Lord of God. We thank you that you have not forgotten us. We thank you that you are good. We thank you that you are upright. And we thank you that you work in the lives of sinners. We thank you for all the revelation you have given us in the Bible. And we pray that we would feed upon it. And that we would be guided by you. And guided ultimately. To be with you, where you are, forevermore. Amen. Now let's conclude by singing uh, the last few verses of this song. It's Psalm 25. It's page. Um, it's page two, three, two of the Psalter, and it's at verse 17. My heart's griefs are increased. Me from distress relieve See mine affliction and. My pain and all my sins forgiven. We come down to 21. Let uprightness and truth keep me who they attend. Redemption, Lord to Israel, from all his troubles send. 17 to 22. My heart's griefs are increased. And peace from Father, Son, and Holy Spirit rest on and abide with each one, both now and forevermore.